Greetings, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the High Red Geek Podcast, episode number 29 with Tyler Miller. Um, a lot of uh, good stuff in this conversation. A little bit of a longer episode, but I uh, promise it is worth it. Um, Tyler is another member of the kind of Geek Ed family um, that's been uh, really collaborating with the uh, partnership with uh, San Diego Comic-Con uh, to do uh, panels over the last several years, um, centering on kind of the intersections of uh, education, geekdom, um, representation and media, um, all those sorts of things. So I'm really excited to continue this conversation. Um, I'm linking to the other episodes of uh, Geek Ed members that we've done so far um, in the show notes. So definitely check out those episodes if you've not already. Uh, they are all awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, Tyler has a really unique story and really kind of just tenured uh, career in higher ed and is just a, a proper geek uh, as usual. And uh, uh, we share some geek outs about uh, Star Wars and uh, Avengers and all that good stuff. So uh, a lot of fun and a lot of good morsels uh, to chew on here and some cool stuff to check out uh, that we mentioned in the episode. So um, yeah, just get uh, get ready to dig in. And uh, after this brief message from our sponsor, this is episode number 29 with Tyler Miller. Hey there, listeners. It's an honor to have our good friends at Swiftcake be a sponsor of the podcast because I've seen their work firsthand and it's truly unlike any student leadership training I've experienced. They've been voted Best Student Leadership Program unprecedented five times, so you know they must be doing something right. As a bonus for our listeners, SwiftKick is giving a $500 discount off their normal speaking fee if you mention High Red Geek when you contact them. I highly recommend their trainings for your campus as your students will be talking about it for months afterwards. It's really great stuff. Check them out at SwiftKickHQ.com to learn more and let them know I sent you. Now, back to the show. Yeah, how is everything going? I guess I assume you're probably wrapping up the the semester here soon, if not already. Uh, nope, we're quarter system. Oh yeah. So I've got an- another month to go. Yeah, yeah. Because the uh, um, we have like a I guess it's, it's essentially like a quarter system. I don't really call it that, but um, the for uh, for two U and our partner program with American University, their MBA program, it's. Uh, 10 week modules and they have like three weeks off in between each. Um, so yeah, so we just started our last one at the beginning of April and then it'll, uh, so we're sort of like the halfway point. So yeah, we're done mid June, um, and then start back up again in July. Um, so like they go all year long, but it's just, yeah, it's still kind of new to me and our students get confused. And since we're still a pretty new program, nothing else like, you know, exists like us at the university. So it's also kind of, kind of, I don't know, quirky that way too. Um, I guess, do you, I, I assume maybe you've worked at campuses that were not quarter systems. Do you have a preference? Oh, yeah. oh I, I much prefer semester than quarter. I do not like the quarter system. It just, I think for relationship building, it, it's, it's, it feels so much more surface because you only got 10 weeks and then you're off and 10 weeks you're off versus the grind of doing a 16 week semester I just feel like you just get deeper and there's more opportunity to have a relationship, you know? So yeah. I, I'm a big fan of the semester. <laughs> yeah. Cause I always say with my students, if they're either having like, you know, a good time or a bad time, it's just like, yeah, our modules, you know, for better or worse go very quickly. So like, if you're in like a really hard course, it'll be over soon. Or, you know, if things are going well, it's like, yeah, I mean, things are moving right along and you're just kind of like cruising through your classes. Um, so yeah, it's tough. Uh, yeah, it could be tough that way. And then, and then for us, I mean, just cause we're, we're, you know, on all four quarters, 
um, you know, just for students like persisting, they'll just sometimes like, you know, what? I just need to slow down or I just need to take a module <laughs> off. So, you know, just hard, like for us sometimes to like forecast, like how many students are we going to have like, you know, uh, each module, but, um, yeah, I can, I can see how that might be tough because it's, yeah, it's just kind of like this roller coaster where it's like, okay, we're on for 10 weeks and then you're off and then oh, 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 oh. it's just kind of like always going versus like, yeah, the more, uh, I guess you could say traditional, uh, time frame, but, um, yeah, I guess it's, I don't even like, cause yeah, I've never been like on a campus proper that had, you know, the quarter system. So I don't know what it feels like that way. Um, yeah. Just we're, we're opening, we're grinding and then we're closing and then we're opening, then we're grinding, then we're closing, then we're opening. It's, it's just, yeah, I just, <laughs> I much prefer the semesters. Yeah. So. Um, Cool. All right. Well, um, I'm sure we maybe will uh, talk about some of your uh, experience and stuff here. So uh, we'll go ahead and dive in um, and we will uh, yeah, kick off the episode here as we always do. If you just want to um, introduce yourself in kind of the Cliff Notes version of how you got to be where you are today, and then we'll dig in with a couple of you know pieces of your story a little bit more deeply. You know, as somebody who has lived for 46 years, the Cliff Notes version is still kind of long. So I'll give you <laughs> shorter version sure. yeah yeah um you know I, I i grew up on the east coast born in milford connecticut um moved to philadelphia pennsylvania when i was five um you know my first experience working on a campus is when i went to boarding school my junior year of high school my father passed away when i was 15 and so i went to a quaker boarding school outside of philadelphia and it was really my first on-campus living experience and so i think it was very unique for me in high school as a junior and a senior to live on campus and really was a transformative experience for me. Um, when it was time for college, I wanted to go as far away from home as I could. And so California called me and came out to California in 1990 and went to UC Santa Barbara for my undergrad. Um, you know, really is where I kind of did my undergrad, became RHA president, became an RA, then became an ARD. I graduated, did an ARD for another year. I'm assistant resident director. And then, then I moved to Chico, California, um, where I was a resident director there. And that's kind of where I kind of got my master's degree, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in social science. I did my undergrad at UCSB and got my, I got a double major, um, a double BA in math and communications. So I think that's really unique. I wanted to be a talk show host is what I wanted to do <laughs> when I went to college, um, you know, but I got kind of sucked into the student affairs realm um, at my first Nakur in 1991. You know, I went there, there was a career student affairs lunch, you know, and you go, you do those things with students and you never think, Oh, it's really going to make a difference. Well, I'm here because Chuck Rhodes um, spoke at that lunch and said, you could do this as a career. And that's kind of the rest is history. So um, worked at Chico state for about four years, got my master's degree in social science, um, I took a year off after that to teach junior high. Um, I thought maybe if I could get these students earlier, I could have more of an impact on them because there were students who I was like, I can't impact them. It's already too late. And so I taught junior high. Um, I also volunteered as a morning sidekick at a local radio station and quickly decided I'd much rather deal with drunk college students than sober junior high kids. <laughs> um, you know, I have no, no, disrespect i think for me the junior high teachers out there i i could not do that i just it is an amazing job and it was it was the limit of what i could accomplish and i quickly decided i'd come back and go working in colleges 
I went back to Chico State for two more years. Um, I took another year off while my wife graduated from Chico State. Um, and I ran a homeowners association, which was interesting. Um, I went from con- con- confiscating alcohol from 18-year-olds to managing a bar for senior citizens. Um, and so I bought alcohol and provided bartenders. And it was a really interesting dynamic for a year. Um, and then I went to work at Sonoma State with Chuck Rhodes. That's why I mentioned his name. Um, so I worked at Sonoma State. And that's kind of where I tell people, I got my master's degree at Chico, but I really got my graduate level student affairs education at Sonoma State, um, you know, unofficially. I, Chuck Rhodes, Cindy Morizumi really are the two people who really influenced me um, a lot in terms of the field. Um, I then left, spent nine months at CSU Stanislaus as a res life coordinator, and then the opportunity to step into an assistant director role at Fresno State opened up. And kind of that's where I was for about eight years. My wife and I had five kids, all girls, five daughters. Um, you know, while we were at Fresno, while we were at Fresno State, and about two and a half years ago, I got the opportunity to kind of come home a little bit, back to UC Santa Barbara um, as an assistant director, kind of a bigger um, department. I got to open new residence halls. I got to work with family student housing. I got undergrad apartments. I got first year residence halls all in my area. So I was like, okay, let's go back to Santa Barbara. And so I've been in Santa Barbara for the last two and a half years where we just recently welcomed our sixth daughter into the world in February. So um, what you need to know about me is I'm a family person. Most of my time is spent with my family. Um, I am a geek at heart. Uh, I collected baseball cards and comic books as a kid. I'm really bummed that when I moved out to California, I sold everything um, <laughs> and kicked myself every day that I sold those things because I didn't want to move out west with them. Um, but that's kind of where I grew up on the East Coast um, and then came out here. And kind of that's my kind of journey to get me to this place. There's other stuff along the way, but I think we'll talk about those as we go. Yeah. Um... Well, yeah, just so like pieces of that, just I seem to have an affinity, I think, for people that I don't know, it's funny, just like have the respect for education and like give it a shot, but find higher ed is a, I think, a, a better fit for them. Like I, I actually, you know, was one of those people where I got, I guess, maybe very close to it. I got on the precipice of it that I it was a history ed major all the way up until my final year of undergrad. And that's when I made the sort of decision to be like, okay, I'm going to take the GRE, apply to grad schools, go the higher ed route. And because my final year was going to be consumed by student teaching and even just observing and just like, it was just what I sort of rolled into. Like I had really great um, history teachers in undergrad. And I was like, I would love to do that. You know, I love history. I love putting things into context and that structure. Um, You know, so that's sort of a perspective I still have today, but um you know, just, uh, yeah, I think it, that respect for education is just at the core, I think for some people, and it's, it's good when they can find a, an environment, um, you know, like a campus or even just sort of like a higher ed adjacent role, uh, where they're still able to impact the, the student experience that way. Um, but, uh, yeah. And then, um, yeah. I don't know, just yeah. yeah, there's other interesting experiences you've had too, which I'm sure, yeah, like they, they've, they've given you something, but obviously weren't part of your like career trajectory. They sort of just were like, kind of the, the in the tie-dye of <laughs> kind of like your your broader kind of base career in higher ed so it's always cool to hear those things too yeah and the other the other cool thing going back to the education piece i think for me is we homeschool so my wife actually stays home 
and she homeschools. So she gets kind of that classroom education piece. And I get to do that too. Cause as a math major, my wife, you know, we're kind of the perfect match. She was an English major. Um, I was a math major and a communications major. So for me, I get to help the, our kids kind of do their math and engage with them, you know, and take real world principles and kind of talk about how they relate to math education. So I still get to do that. And that's very exciting. And we're actually part of a charter school. And I know that's a, you know, I have a lot of friends and colleagues who work in the K through 12 system, you know, but I think for us, it works. And it's, you know, we value um, both the public school education system and I think the opportunity for us in terms of what's best for our family. Um, but it's nice that I get to still be a part of that, but with my own kids. Yeah. Um, very interesting. Yeah. I, I can I imagine yeah, that almost kind of like scratch a little bit of an itch that way. I'm just like, that's in you and being able to utilize it to, I mean, to impact your own children is like amazing just to like give back in that very direct way. Um, and yeah, we will certainly yeah. talk about all the geeky stuff too, but yeah, it's cool really to see like that, that tapestry of, uh, kind of your life and the things that you've done and that you like hold important. Um, and I guess specifically, cause I, I guess that connects with like kind of your undergrad college experience. So what, uh, you know, what specific details of like being an RHA, being an RA, you know, anything like that, like what did that give you personally and or professionally that, you know, kind of carries with you today? Yeah. I think for me, what, my aunt and, and really I think why I stick to housing a lot or have stuck to housing is because my life was saved. And I mean that in the most literal and metaphorical sense from my on-campus living experience at, at, at college. I mean, I think for me, you know, coming 3000 miles away, you know, I lived on campus at, at a Quaker boarding school and I was in a rough time. I mean, my father passed away. My mom wasn't doing well with her mental health, you know, and this, this, these, these people became my family and were my source of well-being and health. And that, when I came to UCSB, that's what I found. I found mentors and father figures and everyone from the maintenance custodial person who, you know, picked glass out of my foot because I decided I wanted to walk barefoot for the first three months while I was at UCSB and not wear shoes for some reason. Um, you know, as an 18 year old kid on his own for the first time, yeah. you know, I found family and I found healing living on campus for me. And so I think for me, there's that personal connection to that. Um, I also um, was, I, I am still an alcoholic um, I had a real big problem with alcohol as a, as a first year student mm -hmm. um, to the point I did some things that I, you know, not thrilled with, um, but had a resident assistant who really just got me connected to resources on campus. Um, and so for me, the on-campus living experience, the college experience was life changing and transformative. And so for me, when I come into contact with the students and even the RAs, I look at my role as a part of their journey, as as being somebody who could, you know, as I, I heard when I was an RA, I have the ability to be a dream maker or a dream breaker. And I think for me, I want to be the dream maker. You know, I want to help students live their dreams. I want to give them resources and support to be able to do the things they need and want to do that they may not even have the ability to do or have the resources to do today. And so for me, that's really what it gave me. It was my family and continues really to be my family in a lot of ways. I think I deal with some jealousy of people who've been my family as I've over the last 10 years, I've started having kids of my own. 
and having my own, you know, biological family. Um, and I, that there's a lot of, you know, cognitive dissonance within me and in in navigating that too, as a parent. But I think for me, the university experience was transformative for me. Um, and so for me, I really feel connected. And I think that's why it's so hard for me to say, I'm going to go do, you know, student activities, or I'm going to go do, and not to say those things are bad or, or advising, because I love those things, but I get to do those things in housing. But I think for me, I've not still let go of what housing did for me and what people in housing did for me. And again, I think for me, it's kind of like, I'm, I, I want to pay it back. You know, I'm a fan of, you know, I, I think one of my favorite uh, movies is Saving Private Ryan. And, you know, for me at the end, when Tom Hanks, you know, spoiler alert, if you've never seen <laughs> Saving Private Ryan, you know, but spoiler alert, um, Tom Hanks at the end, you know, is dying and he tells Private Ryan, earn this. You know, and I think for me, for the people who built into my life and took serious risk, you know, I look back and I and I put myself in their shoes and I'd say, I would never have done that because I know for me, like how I navigate this field. I'm like, I don't think if I were you and, you know, there was a student me, I don't think I would have done what you did for me, given what I know now and given the liability and risk management. And so for me, I really, I think for me, this work we do is not a job. It, it really is, you know, for lack of a better term, and I know it's a loaded term, it really is a ministry for me. It really is a, it, it's it's a life's calling in my mind. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I appreciate you kind of sharing all that you did there. And yeah, like it's hard to quantify. Yeah, like the, that, uh, <laughs> kind of like paying it back of like, you know, when that would ever be enough because yeah, it was such a transformative and deep change. And like, who knows where you would be without those people who, you know, uh, cared and reached out and supported you. And, you know, I think, you know, in that moment, they obviously weren't thinking like, Oh, this person's probably going to like go and work at a college and go help somebody out. You know, like they were just doing it because it was the right thing to do. They were there. They were equipped with the right knowledge and tools and things to be able to help people in need. And, um, yeah, just like empowering and motivating and inspiring people to, you know, live up to that ideal. Cause yeah, like when you are working in housing, you're dealing with people's whole lives, good, bad, and ugly. And, um, yeah, just helping them to have community, to have fun together and make memories, but also, you know, through those hard times to, to help them do what they, uh, you know, should be doing, need to be doing to be healthy and well, and, you know, build sort of a foundation for the rest of their lives. Like, like you were able to get, and, uh, yeah, like you said, that, that, that's just sort of where you were kind of born and bred was in, you know, housing and residence life. So it's like, yeah, you can kind of augment yourself with great partnerships across campus and all those other functional areas. But, you know, uh, it's just really important for you to have that direct uh, experience to give back to um, you know other students who, you know, may be in a similar position that you were in. And I think because, yeah, those stories always kind of, you know, kind of warm my heart where, you know, in certain instances, people can be more focused on, you know, obviously it would have like a very detrimental effect for you if they were more focused on like getting you in trouble and being punitive um, versus like, okay, let's, this person's in need, let's get them the help that they deserve and, you know, just kind of respect their you know dignity as a person and not just be like, oh, like if you were like underage, where did you get that alcohol or what were you doing? Like, you shouldn't have done that and just sort of like wagging the finger and it's like, oh, no, I feel like, you know, awful. Um, so it's just like, yeah, like those weird things where, yeah, we don't give up on people just because they might make a bad choice. 
you know, we help them to you know do better. So yeah, that's great. And I also I also think it's why I've resisted becoming a director because I think for me, you know, I think you know I've been in the field 24 years and I'm still the, just the assistant director. And and I think for me, it's I've you know I'm starting to explore the director level positions a little bit. But I think for me, you know, I love being close to the students. I love being able to have the freedom to engage with the resident assistants, to meet with students. And I think I've resisted a little bit kind of moving forward because I've loved it so much. Um, I think that, you know, people are always asking me like, how are you still an assistant director, Tyler, with all this experience? Like, well, part of it is I've resisted it. And part of it is, you know, there are other things that go into that um, in terms of, you know, my, my style a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think I've heard that from a lot of people. Yeah. That, uh, you know, sometimes they might fight a really, great fit role and campus size and sort of yeah institution and sort of their philosophy that, yeah, like, you know, you could probably find a, a place that, yeah, really like where you'd be at a director level and, you know, it would be the right style for you and the right balance to be able to have, you know, time with your family and like those important things that like, you know, and it's like good on you for like, yeah, like not sacrificing, you know, things just for the title. Cause I think, I certainly have gotten distracted by the bright shiny. And I think, you know, uh, a great quote that somebody told me one time, it's just, and, you know, very simple is like ego takes us down a path. That's not us. You know, it, it kind of draws us away from, I think our core values, you know, more often than not. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it's like, cause yeah, it's good. Like, it, you know, if you're in a position to be kind of like, you know, picky and like, you know, make sure you make that choice when it's, you know, the right time and the right place and the right role. Um, but I guess, yeah, like explore that a little bit more, you know, you've made the willing decision to, you know, be where you are, um, now, you know, like, what is it, you know, if you just want to just kind of, you know, dig a little bit deeper, just like, what do you enjoy most about your current work? And, um, you know, what, just kind of talk more about that. Yeah. And I, you know, I think for me, it comes down to what I really enjoyed is just mentoring and engaging professionals. I think, to me, I love students, and, I, and again, like I talked about, the student experience is formative, but I think for me, I'm in the unique position of really, in my mind, developing my future bosses. You know, I, I look at the folks I'm supervising, and I look at them, and I say, you will be my boss in 10 to 15 years if things go well. Um, you know, and I love the idea of being able to really shape the next generation of directors of housing and, you know, senior student affairs officers, because um, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, in the process. Um, I love and believe I have an impact on people. And at the end of the day, I'm a big fan of, you know, Aston's social change model. Um, and so I really do believe I can impact and, and change the world. Um, and again, I'm an, I'm an idealist. And I think that's that sometimes gets challenging because I, I look at the ideal. You mentioned like we our stated values versus our lived values. And for me, my entire day is spent questioning whether or not I'm living out my stated values. And so I think for me, I'm very idealistic and values driven um, and, 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 and outcomes driven, right? Like if we say this is important to us and I see where it's not, I'm, I'm going to engage and talk about that. So um, I am a problem solver. And, and again, I think in my current position, you know, and, and I, I, I learned a lot of this in my eight years at Fresno state, you know, I get to be the problem solver. I get to be the one who builds and develops a program. And then my boss, who is the director, 
gets to be the one to help me navigate the politics and the landmine of the campus to be able to get what we want to move our department in the direction we want to go. And so to me, I love that. I'm very strategic. I love strategic planning. Um, I, you know, I led Wakuho is the Western Association of College University Housing Officers, their strategic planning process. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I served the last two years as president. We created um, the, the Task Force on Equity and Inclusion. And so for me, I'm very strategic. I, I currently at UCSB worked on and led the uh, Living Learning Community strategic planning process. So for me, I get to do those things. And, and so I think for me, um, it's comfortable. And I think that's where for me, I'm starting to go, okay, maybe some of this is my comfort. And, you know, if Brene Brown says you need to dare greatly, and she's really challenged me, um, in terms of reading, you know, books from her and hearing her keynote at ACPA a few years ago, that, that maybe some of this is because this is what I'm comfortable with. I'm, it's time for me to take a risk, you know, and running for president of Wakuho, I think really put me in touch with, I can do it. It's just a matter of whether I want to, or whether the opportunity, um, presents itself where I won't have to sacrifice my family. Um, you know, I think, so I think for me, that's why, and, and what I love about what we do. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, and it's good that you have not just that student interaction that you crave, but also, yeah, that mentoring aspect, that involvement in the field, uh, at sort of a broader scale. And, um, yeah, it's just the, kind of good, again, sort of just mosaic uh, of experiences where, yeah, I think you are well positioned to figure out like what is next. Um, but like, yeah, like you can, cause I think for me, it's like sometimes people do, you know, they want to take like a broad giant leap in a position like this, but you know, you can take on as much risk as you want, as quick as you want kind of thing. And just like, again, be picky, take your time, plan, strategize as you've been doing and kind of, uh, you know, set yourself up to kind of make that leap and have a soft landing versus, you know, having to have it be like a stressful thing and have it be, you know, an enjoyable process. But, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, that's, I guess, yeah, I think a lot in terms of just like your professional world, kind of the things that you geek out about that you've been doing, why, you know, you love residence life and have really, you know, made that your career, um, thus far. And yeah, you said you're, you know, just a, a proud geek at heart. Um, mm-hmm. So what are those things just sort of like kind of conceptually, because we can, you know, get into like recommending specific stuff to check out um, a little bit later, but like just sort of classically, like what are the things that you geek out about? You know, the things that you have kind of in your world now, is it stuff that you've discovered recently or stuff you've always been into? Just try to kind of paint that picture for us. You know, and it's interesting, you know, obviously, as you can tell, I geek out about housing and student affairs a lot. That's probably one of my yeah. biggest things that you can hear about, you know, in terms of a lot of my learning and knowledge that the podcasts, you know, I recently, you know, Dr. Jonathan Higgins, um, you know, he, he's starting a new podcast called Learnt. And so for me, I've been geeking out about that. I've been geeking out about um, issues of social justice and inclusion, but that's not really, I think what you're asking, um, you know, having six kids a lot of my geeking out has to overlap with my children. Um, so, you know, right now it's funny, you know, the thing that I'm spending most of my time on is my two oldest daughters and I have been sp- spending many evenings the past month playing WWE 2K17 on our PlayStation 4. You know, and so professional wrestling right now, surprisingly, at this point in my life, has been one of the things um, I've been geeking out about a lot. They love it. Um, you know, we, we do matches, they want to do a Royal Rumble or an elimination chamber. And so it's just fun geeking out with them and, 
you know, one of the cool stories was, you know, my, my six-year-old watches, she's not ready to play yet. And for the longest time, she just thought we were playing a video game. And then my eight-year-old was practicing her entrance of one of the wrestlers, Becky Lynch. Um, and so we turned on a video on YouTube and my six-year-old was blown away. She's like, wait, daddy, these are real people, you know? And so for me, I love seeing stuff like that. And so for my six-year-old, she's like, I want to go see them. I want to be them. And, and so it was interesting because for her, this was a video game. It was never wrestling. And so I think for me, that's one of my big things. Obviously the Marvel cinematic universe has been big in our house. Um, we finally in January introduced our kids to the Marvel cinematic universe. We've been holding off um, just for different reasons. And so we just started, you know, on a weekly basis watching the, all the movies. So that way when infinity wars came out, we were ready for it. And so I don't know if we're ready to talk about that. I know there's spoilers ahead, um, you know, but I think for us, the Marvel cinematic universe um, has been big in our house right now. My daughter, um, is really into Spider-Man. Um, and so that's been interesting as somebody who, you know, when you ask me, you know, Tyler, what are your geek things? You know, my top two things are Batman. Um, you know, Lego Batman is probably my favorite Batman movie. Kevin Conroy is my Batman. And so, you know, for me, it's all about Batman. Um, and then Star Wars. I mean, Batman and Star Wars, if you look at my office, you know, as you look around, you're going to see a lot of a lot of and I'm looking around right now. You can't see that um, <laughs> a lot of Batman, a lot of Star Wars. Um, and so I think for me, those are at the top. Um, you know, what's interesting, though, for me lately is because of my daughter's passions, we've been starting to do things like go to the comic book store. You know, I, so I've started taking her to the comic book store. And that's kind of reintroduced me to some comics. So I've been reading, you know, I just finished Miles Morales, uh, Spider-Man, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and so the graphic novel. And so I really enjoyed that. Um, I am just starting the Coates Black Panther series. Um, I'm really excited about the, the Captain America series coming out by Coates on July 4th. So I, you know, it's been probably 15 to 20 years since I've had a poll. And so I, I started my first poll again um, you know, for July. And so I think having that and trying to get my daughter into the habit of, of going to the comic book store and doing a poll, she's pulling Spider-Man. And so I think for her, that's been her, her jam. Um, and my eight-year-old is into Star Wars um, adventures. And so I think, so those are kind of the things when I have time, um, you know, I, I'm trying to finish Rebels, the, the cartoon, the Star Wars cartoon. Um, I've made it through season one, but again, it's all about I have very limited time. So yeah. I think for me, those are my, those are my uh, current geek out moments. Uh, you know, when it gets back to Star Wars, one of the things I got to say is like my favorite Star Wars movie is The Last Jedi. I think it, it is almost the perfect movie today that could change based on the next movie coming out because it could go in a direction that makes me upset over The Last Jedi. It could make go in a direction that makes me think it's even more brilliant than it currently is. Um, but I'm a big fan of The Last Jedi. I think it's the perfect um, Star Wars movie um, at the moment. I know that's that's controversial, um, but there's a lot of good reasons behind it. We could probably do a whole podcast on why I think it's the perfect Star Wars movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think it just fits in a very interesting place because it's almost like, to me, the way that I interpreted it, because, yeah, I mean, and I'll, I'll try to keep myself short here, but... Um, 
yeah, it, it was almost sort of like meta about like kind of the fandom around it or something of just sort of like, you know, getting ready for kind of the new generation, the next generation and all that, because like you know, certain characters or, you know, the whole galaxy at that point is still kind of dealing with, you know, the empire and the legacy of uh, the Skywalkers and everything, but just sort of like, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it was, yeah, very. It was mind blowing. Yeah. Like it's good because it's controversial. (laughs) Yeah. Like a star Wars movie being controversial is good. Like it's people talking. They could could certainly ruin it in the next movie. There's no (laughs) doubt. There's opportunity to ruin it. But to me, like you said, it was made it the biggest cliffhanger of the movie. What are they going to do with Carrie Fisher? I mean, how do you make a movie where the cliffhanger is real life? Like the question that was on everybody's mind, you know, after The Force Awakens, everybody had all these questions, right? And they were all character driven. The only question on people's mind after The Force, after The Last Jedi, how are they going to do Princess Leia with Carrie Fisher's passing? Like, what an homage to her that that would be the question. And when Yoda burned down the tree, he wasn't burning down the Jedi Order. He was burning literally Star Wars to the ground. And it became, it was a, and look, my generation, and I, and I don't know how old you are, but like for us, Luke Skywalker is Star Wars. And his passing was for us, I think, the death of our childhood. And I think we were holding on to that for a really long time. And it was getting in the way of the future. And I think it's a perfect analogy for where we are at as a society. I think it's a perfect analogy of where we are at as a student affairs field. I think it's a perfect analogy of where we are at as a country that we are blocking ourselves and our future because we won't let go of the past. And I think for me... It, it sent a message and it was the first Star Wars movie that actually had a message since the Return of the Jedi. You know, the first three movies, they were good and I liked them, but they're the science. Sorry, I'm, I'm going way off here. But Go for it. <laughs> science fiction at its best is designed to tell stories that make us think and push society that are less threatening than talking about them directly. And so when I think of like Planet of the Apes and Star Trek, they were ways to tell stories we could, you and I couldn't have a conversation about because they were too risky and too scary. But because of science fiction and the landscape, we could have those conversations. And in Star Wars, they did that. But I think when they did the, the, the new movie, the, 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 the Phantom Menace and stuff, it was about selling tickets. And they had to do The Force Awakens because there is no way they could have started off with The Last Jedi. We would People would have been out of their minds had that been the first movie. And so I feel like The Force Awakens was dealing with white male fragility. It was a way to get us ready in our fragility so that they could start a new hope. And I really think The Last Jedi is a new hope. It is, it is the new hope for the future to set the landscape for Sorry, I, I could, you could tell these are my geek out things. And so we're talking about them, but for me, that's why I love the last Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I gotta, I can't wait to like rewatch it. I should, like, I, I usually don't see the movies in theaters like multiple times just cause like, I don't know, just like making time for it. But if I can like cozy up and just like watch it at home and sometimes like watch the commentary and like watch the deleted scenes and like all the stuff around it, you know, that helps me to process for seeing how to like kind of make the trek out to the theater. But yeah, I mean, it, it's, yeah, I, I just appreciate it for its boldness and, um, 
yeah, just charting a new path. And I think, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything that you've said about like sci-fi and all that. And just like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of what the franchise needed. And, you know, I think they have a certainly a tendency to just like, you know, I mean, a lot of like the Marvel stuff is always tempted by that, that dark pool of just like, you know, do the things to sell the toys or make money, you know, just kind of cash grabs and stuff. But thankfully they always balance it with, you know, enjoyable movies still. But well, and I think yeah. you see that a little bit with Infinity War, right? We don't have to talk about it. I don't know if you want to talk about it, but I mean, to me, Infinity War told a story. And I think it, again, it has the potential to be an amazing benchmark for the series. They could they could destroy it in a heartbeat in the next movie easily. You know, and I think that's what's scary. And I think that to me is it's like where are they going to go with this? What is the message they're going to send? Because right now there the message is, you know, there's a certain message that if they take it and basically just oh, like they could write oh, it was just all a dream, right? And then people are like, "What?" like but there was a message to it. And I think it was a hard message. You know, and I think for me, that's, that to me is, it was brilliant. I think say what you want about Disney. They have done a really good job with the Marvel properties and star Wars properties. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they, they make good movies. They know how to tell a good story. So, you know, you can always give them that credit. Um, but I guess, you know, yeah, you mentioned, you know, you're sharing sort of interest with your, your children. So certainly that's a way that these kind of geek outs uh, have been uh, positively contributing to your life. I guess anything else, maybe even like, you know, uh, through your, your college experience or like early career and just like your early life before that, or just kind of ongoing more on that personal level and like any other ways that you want to mention, just like how these hobbies and interests that have been so pervasive and, you know, kind of deep for you, like how have they positively contributed to your life in terms of like community or anything like that? Well, they certainly got me on a panel at San Diego Comic-Con and they give me free tickets to San Diego Comic-Con every year. I'll tell you that. I mean, I think, you know, you, and you, you, you've been a part of that. I think that's really exciting. It's really exciting. You know, for me, a lot of it started around, you know, creating Geek Ed with Ryan McRae. Um, You know, we've been doing some amazing work connecting with colleagues from across the country, really bridging the geek identity and the work we do in higher education student affairs. And so I think the idea of opening this up and saying, where could we help college students use this to work for them? Where could we help staff members use this to work for them instead of creating this this dichotomy where my geek life has to stay somewhere and then my work life is over this other side? And so I think for me, that's been one of the most exciting things to just see take off. And so now Ryan and I have stepped back and other people have taken it on and they're doing amazing things. They're doing panels at San Francisco Comic-Con. They did a panel at WonderCon. You know, so I think it, it's just fun to kind of just sit back and kind of let other people kind of take it. And, and again, taking it further than we could ever have imagined. Um, but I think to me, and, and again, what I always love about our work with Geek Ed is we've had the opportunity over the years to get about 80 to 90 higher ed student affairs professionals and students to their first ever San Diego Comic-Con. And I think for me, that's what I love about it. It's it's getting people connected. Um, and so I think for me, that's been the big, biggest kind of combination of my geek pop culture and my practice. I've done research 
um, with geek college students and looking at, you know, intersections of identity with that, like our, our women geek students, our black geek students, our LGBT geek students, you know, doing some research around that. Um, I've, I led when I was at Fresno State efforts with our students, faculty and staff to create the first ever Fresno State Comic Con, FresCon, you know, and that's exciting because for this, this, this weekend actually is going to be their fourth year. You know, and when we did that, we had 1500 people our first year, our second year, there was 4,000. And so for me being able to combine, you know, and say, Oh, you have a programming budget. You can put on a comic con. What? Like to me, that's amazing. Right. And, and I think there was this untapped potential out there in higher ed and student affairs that I think people were afraid to really engage in, but have seen the power of that. And it's, you know, it started for me with, uh, I, you and I have talked about this and, I, and on a different podcast, but, you know, it started with Magic the Gathering, right? I got a call, random call, you know, Wizards of the Coast said, we have a thousand decks of Magic cards to give out to college students. Do you want them? And I was sitting there going, yes. But I was like, my staff probably doesn't want to deal with a thousand Magic decks of Magic cards. You know, and I went and talked to my staff and, you know, there were two of them on staff said, yes, Tyler. But then three of them are like, that's for high school students. Our students are not going to engage on that. You know, and going back to them and saying, well, hey, how would you give us 500? And then basically the, the rumors and winds took off and that people would be knocking on my door because they heard I had free decks of magic cards. And so I was talking to students I had never talked to before. Students were coming to programs because Aries were doing programs around Magic the Gathering that had never come to programs in the past. And we were like, ding, 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 we're on to something. All of our programs have targeted the same students and the same students every year come to these programs. And then these other students out here who are doing their own thing. And they're finding each other with the internet, they can find each other, but they're, we're not finding them. You know, and so I think for us, that's where it all started. And that that just led us to like, OK, let's look at hiring geek students. And, you know, how do we how do we engage our students on campus who identify this? And, you know, and at first we were like, OK, what about inclusion? Right. Like, you know, are are they our white you know, male students? Well, the research we did showed us and the programs we did showed us that we had students who were very diverse coming out to our programs. And I think that was for us the first bridge that maybe pop culture and geek culture could bring people together who wouldn't normally come together. You know, I always tell the story of, you know, we, I, I did a training at Fresno state, um, you know, on geek identity and we had an IT person come and I had a student panel. I brought two or three of the geek students living on campus, you know, very diverse. And before the, the, the training even started, they just started speaking in a language, the IT guy and the student, that I'd never even heard of. And what they were talking about at the time was Pokemon. And they were talking and talking, and this was before Pokemon Go. And I just sat there and I'm like, I have no idea what the two of you are saying, but the two of you are connecting on a level that I've never seen before. You, are, you as a college student are connected to an IT guy. And this IT guy is connecting to a college. And so for me, that's where the magic happened and that's where it blew my mind is that we have people all across campus who are geeks and identify. And so when you encourage them to be a geek, they get excited. And the only way FresCon happened at Fresno State, going back to that, is we had to get it passed through risk management. What we didn't know when we were trying to get it passed through risk management is that one of the assistant directors was a Trekkie and was part of a Star Trek cosplay group 
in Fresno that would go down to LA for WonderCon every year. And so we, we were blown away. And he's like, Tyler, we were so behind the scenes cheering for this to happen. And because we knew that there was concerns about risk management, you know, he's like, we were telling our boss, like, this needs to happen. And, you know, you don't realize that, right? We're res, I'm res life centric. I'm housing centric. I don't ever connect with anybody in risk management. And so we do a panel and he comes to the panel and we're talking and I see him on campus the next week. We have a different relationship. And so for me, I see the power of these passions opening doors for the things that we want to do as, as higher ed and student affairs folks, which is create an environment where people feel welcome. And it's not just white folks. It's not, you know, it crosses the gamut. And that was what blew me away. When we had the, uh, a professor of black studies at Fresno State say, I would love to bring my black students and do a panel on black masculinity and sci-fi imagery at FresCon, we're like, hey, that sounds like a great idea. And when a physics professor says, I'd love to do a panel from science fiction to reality, you know, and so somebody says to us, well, how do you collaborate, Tyler? Like, let me tell you about a program in which we had faculty, staff, and students all working together with our dining, right? Because we went to dining and like, hey, you're going to have to open some things up. And they're like, what do you mean? And we're like, we're going to have people coming this weekend that you're, you know, can you open up Starbucks when it's not normally open? You know, we, we were collaborative bef- and, and it was just amazing. And then we worked with the community because we were on radio stations because I'm, I'm in charge of marketing. You know, so we were on radio stations, we were doing morning talk shows, and we got the community excited. What kind of professional development is that, you know, right? And so my geek passions have really paid off, you know, and I think for me, what I love is I've mentored and helped other geeks be okay with talking about their identity on their campuses. And so for me, that's where these things all come together. And that's what excites me. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's all really cool stuff. And I mean, yeah, we've had some other recent episodes. Um, I guess by the time this posts, they, they, I think they should be out just continuing to explore this topic. And um, yeah, just like it, it cuts across campus, it cuts across kind of backgrounds and, you know, just whatever a person is into, if you can get somebody to have their like kind of passionate affinity be, you know, found in someone else, you know, it opens the doors and obviously they can then kind of... Uh, build a relationship upon that. That's not solely reliant on their interest, but it's just a way to like catalyze so much community um, and people, you know, waves for people just to have fun together. And um, you know, cause I, yeah, I was joking in one of the other episodes that, you know, <laughs> people shouldn't be surprised that, you know, some sort of geeky interest would like pull people out because people wait overnight for like midnight releases. They will like line up for things and like, you know, they really are just, uh, so into what they're into and it, it's just, you know, still something that's kind of sort of permeating and becoming more mainstream where, you know, other stuff like sports and cars, it's like stuff for those sort of affinities have been happening for a very long time. But, uh, you know, yeah, like San Diego comic-con just continues to grow and now there's all these other conventions and, um, yeah, just people want that like that local community, that national community, that global community um, that's based on the thing that they love and they want to cosplay like it. They want to craft things. They want to, you know, just do whatever kind of creative outlet they have to, um, you know, just really engage on it with other people that uh, are into it too. So, um, 
yeah, it's really cool to hear just, you know, the experience that you've had and this, this thing that you helped create continues to live on and help, you know, positively impact the student experience. And, you know, it's bringing staff together to, you know, engage with each other, but also with students that they serve. And, um, yeah, it's really awesome. And, uh, yeah, I know there's just been some other campuses that have created like geek weeks and comic cons and stuff, uh, on their campuses. It's also like, they just have a great space for it. Like they're a community space anyway. So just having that sort of, uh, you know, place for people to come together is, uh, it's always awesome. Like, I don't know if you followed what happened with FanCon in Baltimore and, and, you know, I just kept thinking, I'm like, if you had just partnered with the university of Maryland, like you would have been able to do that really well. Like we have resources and we have venues that go unused over the weekends on college campuses. Right. You know, and that's kind of how we sold it. It was like, we had a student affairs vice president at the time who was like, I want to engage the community. I want to do more things because there were 25,000 students on campus, but only a thousand lived in the residence halls. And so for us, it was like, Hey, we have a way for you to do that. Give us a little bit of a budget, give us some space and we can make it happen. And so there's all these resources that are untapped that I think in a community could really help be, be you know, bring people together. And I, to me, that's where the magic happens. Yeah. Um, well, I guess maybe if it's anything that was, you know, included in that convention just through your own uh, kind of, you know, affinity for it. But um, I guess it was, as we start to wrap up the episode, because um, we'll, we'll try to, if, if you can send anything, yeah. it'll just be cool to include it about like FrezCon and that sort of stuff so folks can see it. But, um, you know, what are the things that you um, like right now are kind of like reading and watching and listening to, you know, anything that you'd want to um, specifically just have us be able to include in the show notes? Um whether it is stuff like FrezCon that we can share out or um, yeah, just any other kind of like pieces of content that have grabbed your you know, Again, with like. six kids, most of it's Paw Patrol, Super Y. Um, you know, every once in a while, my daughters will, will, will be watching, uh, you know, Spy Kids or something like that. So most of my time is, is with them. I don't get a whole lot of time to kind of do pleasure stuff. I talked about some of that earlier. Uh, you know, I think for me, I'm listening to what my kids want which is, you know, usually a mixture of Toby Mac, Jamie Grace, and Gad Elbaz, you know, as a very eclectic mix. Oh, they also are really into Seagulls Stop It Now, you know, thanks to Crystal Lay, a colleague of mine who introduced us to that. I don't know if you're familiar with um, bad lip reading, but Seagulls Stop It Now is on constant repeat in our, in our, in our house. Um, in terms of watching, again, I don't get to watch a whole lot, um, but we're in a very glorious time in our family where I get to introduce my kids to my childhood. So watching movies like E.T. and Karate Kid and Princess Bride and, you know, the next thing I want to introduce them to is Goonies and, you know, some of those things and getting to watch the Marvel movies. And, you know, I, 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 those are the things that I'm really excited about, um, you know, really towards the future in terms of content. You know, I, I think it's a lot of the stuff, you know, in terms of my personal time is reading up on the field still. There's just so much good stuff coming out about our field um, I think definitely on the issues of inclusion, I'm reading a lot of um, Robin DiAngelo and watching her and um, Jamie Washington and reading Bell Hooks. And I think so for me right now, that's what I'm geeking out of on in terms of our field. Yeah. Yeah. We'll find, uh, find links to all that stuff so folks can check it out. Um, and yeah, and we'll wrap up the episode here on uh, uh, the kind of optimistic note. Uh, anything or things that you are looking forward to uh, in your job, life, and or the world? 
Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I've been, I've been spending a lot of time on that question because I'm just finishing up my two years of leadership with Bakuho. So there hasn't really been a whole lot of opportunity for me, you know? And so as I look at the next chapter of my life, I think I'm keeping my options open. I, you know, one of the things that we're doing is I'm launching a new business to really take care, take my 23 years of experience, trainings, resources um, that I've collected. You know, I'm a pack rat, right? Like I've saved trainings. I have trainings from when I was an RA in 1991 still, you know, so I have a lot of resources and, you know, saved up and really to bring it into the world because I've been doing that for free and helping people out. Not that I wouldn't stop doing that, but I think for me, I think I've got a lot to offer. And so I've really started um, doing that and really working as an inclusion coach as part of this. I've, I've had a lot of opportunity um, engaging other white folks um, on issues of equity and inclusion, especially on social media. Um, there's a lot of times where I'll engage on Facebook or Twitter, and then people will direct message me because they want to talk more. And so I think that's leading me to really look at that. So I'm starting this um, new website called threedimensionalleadership.org. Um, and so for me, that's really one of the things that I'm really doing. Because um, again, I think in terms of inclusion coaching, like I, I, I don't, you know, it's not about creating a safe space for white folks. It's really creating a workout partner. You know, the idea for me is when you go to the gym, you know, going alone is different than when you go with somebody else to really work through some of these issues. And really, you know, I just think taking, you know, taking undue burden off of marginalized folks to do the work. Because again, at the end of the day, you know, with my, as a white cisgender heterosexual male with a lot of privilege, you know, I get to be really authentic without much consequence. Um, and so I really want to help with the labor. And one of the unique things I'm going to be doing um, really to decolonize our field is do donating a portion of the proceeds of my work um, to pay the professionals of color who really built into my life and taught me what I know. So, you know, folks like um, CJ Venable and Nick Thwatt and um, Jamila Jones and... Dr. Jonathan Higgins, you know, folks who were not getting paid to help me, but were helping me because of my relationship with them. And I mentioned those names because people have to understand, I didn't get here because I figured all this out and I'm some super, you know, white superhero. It's really because I listened and made mistakes um, and learned. And so I think for me, part of my, my mission isn't just to make money to put food on the table for my family. I got six kids to feed and higher end student affairs does not necessarily do that. But at the same time, I also want to recognize that as a field, we have, we have gained a lot of knowledge um, off of folks who didn't get paid to help us that. So I think for me, that's one of the things to do that and to be very transparent. So I think once I start really bringing, you know, getting gigs, I guess, for lack of a better word, is to be very transparent on my website. Like, this is how much money I've brought in, and this is where I've donated it to. You know, and these are some of the folks that I've donated it to. So if you want to ask, you could check in with them and say, is Tyler really doing this? Because it's one thing for me to say it, you know, but there's it's another thing for me to be accountable for it. I think that's one of the things I'm doing. And as part of that whole three-dimensional leadership thing is really working on a three-dimensional model of leadership, um, how social media virtual relationships um, look different than face-to-face, -face, you know, relationships and that, you know, for me, the idea is a leader is at their best when they can engage as a leader face-to-face, -face, 
when they can engage as a leader in social media and digital spaces, and they can integrate the two and know when to integrate, you know, in terms of when to engage in one or the other. Um, so I think that's another area that I'm really excited about for the future. Um, I'm also, again, working on research and again, in partnership with others, um, at, I'm looking at the current research of Generation Z, and I'm really focusing in on how 9-11, September 11th, shaped this current generation. I really think Generation Z is a lazy name. No offense to those people who worked and, and gave them that name. But as a Gen Xer, it's like, okay, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, like, come on, can we can we be a little more creative? I really believe that they're the 911 generation. I think that's much more apropos of this Generation Z. I think the research is right on that's coming out about them. But I think looking at the impact of September 11th, 2001, because these students today were two, three, four years old at the time that happened. And what happened on September 11th is parents paradigm shifted. And so these students grew up with a different parental model than I think the parents before them. And so I think we're really seeing that. So I'm really looking at the impact of that. I'm, I might may or may not be working on a book and hopefully this will um, kind of cement if somebody says, well, you stole that, Tyler. Like, hey, I was talking about that back then, but really looking at the 911 generation, um, which again, you know, in terms of, um, you know, safety and things like that, you know, when we look at, you know, the lack of creativity of even calling it Gen Z, you know, maybe we need to blame the baby boomers and power about that. You know, like maybe they don't they don't have the, the creativity to come up with these new names. Again, no offense to the baby boomers out there, but as a Gen Xer, we're kind of caught in the middle here. Um, but that also might explain why we've seen an incredible amount of reboots in Hollywood, um, you know, wouldn't it? You know, shade, no shade. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, that's a good again, one. Yeah. For me, I think that's that's really what I'm looking for for the future. I think, again, my hope comes back squarely to the professionals I get to mentor, engage, like yourself and others, um, you know, and my own children. You know, I get a glimpse of the future, you know, and again, although the power structures today might be holding back a little bit progress um, in terms of keeping their own comfort, I think there's a bright future ahead. I'm excited. Um, I think at the end of the day, 10, 15, 20 years from now, we're going to be taken off and there's going to be some amazing stuff happening. I think honestly, if, if me and folks around my age and older can just get out of the way, I, I think you're going to see some amazing stuff happen. So that's kind of my future and kind of what I'm looking for. But I'm excited. If you can't tell, I'm excited. I, I love the work we do. I love the work you're doing. Again, I think podcasts are, are a new kind of, it's like, we, we got rid of talk radio and now we're getting to do kind of the talk radio we want to do. You know, and I think it really puts the power back in the hands of, of the people who are, who are at the front lines doing and have the best data in terms of content. So th this stuff just all excites me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, yeah, it's just really cool to see more and more people kind of, uh, trying to you know, chart their own path and utilize their knowledge and experiences to help other people. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just, I, I wish more people, cause I think people can struggle with problems and not seek out help. And I think there's a lot of people like you that are willing to give, you know, kind of their, um, kind of advice and perspective through what they've learned and all the resources that they've gathered. So, um, yeah, it's neat to see, you know, more and more people trying to, you know, kind of go out there and do good work. So. Yeah. And one, one more thing, Dustin, again, I think 
I also, I think for me, I'm open. And if anybody's listening out there, right, I am very much interested in being a leader or director of housing somewhere. Like, I think for me, it's my time and I'm ready. And, you know, I, I would put that out there. Like if people are like, oh, well, Tyler is, you know, um, he wants to go do this big old business thing. I think at the end of the day, though, I think I like the idea of having a team of folks. I like the idea of leading, being strategic and things like that. So that, I, again, I'm keeping my options open out there is really, I think, my 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 paradigm. So I want to put that out there. Yeah, because I think, yeah, a lot of people, when they do these, like, what are you looking forward to? It is almost like these aspirations that are now recorded <laughs> for posterity. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I mean, I'd like to do this. And I think, you know, like, these are the things that kind of keep me honest. But because, um, yeah, I think that's the other thing, too, is that, like, again, people who have their own ventures, it's like, OK, this doesn't have to ever, like, exist on its own and be, you know, sort of your only gainful employment. It's like, yeah, you just want to sort of formally offer yourself up to, you know, assist people, um, in a, you know, particular capacity and, you know, still have your day job kind of thing that might help to continue to inspire you and equip you, um, to be able to help other people, um, better. Right. So, cause I think that um, that just plays yeah. into my family, right? If I, I don't want to be on the road every day, I I'm, I'm looking maybe 10 times a year going out, you know, as kind of a side thing, I want a stable environment in which I, I don't want to sacrifice my family. They come first, which is why like the director role, I think for me would provide much more of that stability and connection home. And I think that's one of the things as a parent in this field, which I think is also very, is, is, is sort of unique. You know, I don't know how many higher ed folks have six kids, you know, ages, you know, zero to 10. But I think for me, that that's, a, that's an honest thing that I don't want to become a full-time speaker. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough gig. So, um, yeah, it's good to have that you know, self-awareness of what, uh, you know, sort of balance and harmony looks like for you. And, um, yeah, it's all good stuff that we've talked about here. We'll link out to everything in the show notes and, um, yeah, just really appreciate your time, Tyler. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, wish you the best of luck, uh, kind of, um, yeah, just kind of charting out this path and uh, continuing to do the good work that you do with uh, Geek Ed and everything else. And um, yeah, again, just uh, appreciate your time and uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Dustin. I appreciate it. This podcast is a proud member of the Connect EDU podcast network, bringing together diverse voices and thoughtful discussions to the higher ed community. Check us out online at connectedu.network or on Twitter at connectedupod. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.